If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I want to encourage you just to open up to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John. I only have one verse as a text this morning. It's John chapter 8, John chapter 8 and verse 12. And some of you might even know it as you turn there. You've probably memorized it. We're going to continue our series that I've talked to you about called Conversations with Christ. And the title of my sermon for this morning is pretty simple. It's, Does Jesus Light Up Your Life? Does Jesus Light Up Your Life? And here is our passage for this morning, John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word once again. I I don't know about you, but sometimes bigger, more verses, broader passages are actually easier to preach than one verse, especially one as familiar as probably this one is. I mean, John chapter 8, verse 12, most of you here know it. In fact, some of the younger people that are here could probably look at me and go, Pastor Steve, yep, I've heard it, I know it, I can even explain it. In fact, as I heard this past week, as one pastor got up to preach to me about a passage of Scripture I'm familiar about, he said, preaching a familiar passage to a room mostly filled with professing Christians is like taking sand to the beach. Right? You, you would never take sand with you to the beach because the sand is already at the beach. And so trying to preach one of these types of passages is not always easy. But what if, what if we stepped back and we thought deeply and carefully about what John 8, 12 means? What are some of the assumptions behind Jesus' words in this sentence and a half? What are the implications of the fact that Jesus is the light of the world? And if we follow Him, we'll not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. What does Jesus, being the light of the world, telling us to follow Him, And that if we do, we're going to have a certain type of life. What does that presuppose? What are the applications of this one verse and where it rests in John's gospel? Now, I wouldn't be Steve and I wouldn't be consistent with the way I've preached this entire gospel to you if I didn't remind us all that John is inspired of God. This isn't random thoughts. This isn't him sitting down doing the best he could. He was inspired of God to write this gospel and inspired to give us or share with us seven miraculous signs. Seven miraculous signs are all spread throughout this gospel and actually up to John 8 you've seen already five of them. Back in John chapter 2 there was the sign of Jesus turning the water into wine where we're reminded that Jesus is our greater provision. And not only that, the water that was turned into wine was purification water, where you had to go to get cleansing, and Jesus takes it and turns what was a constant reminder of you're not enough to I am enough, and because of Jesus, I can now celebrate that He is enough. Next 
was the healing of that royal nobleman's son where we learn that Jesus is the God over time and space. Remember, he healed him without ever even seeing him. He said, listen, if you have faith, your son is healed. Next, there was the healing of that paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda who had been paralyzed for 30 plus years. And Jesus displays that he is God over superstition and religion. Then there is the famous one, the feeding of the 5,000 that children know about and young people know about where Jesus showed us he is God over everything in regards to providing and he can take anything and produce something even out of nothing. Then he walked on water and the disciples were amazed that he had control over nature and all of the elements of nature. And all of these have been picked, handpicked by an inspired man. And he tells us why in John chapter 20. Remember these words? Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Some of them you can even remember if you've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. But these, these five and two more to come, are these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Not just the Christ, but He is the Christ, the Son of God. And here is it. If you believe this, you will have life in His name. What might not be so apparent to you is that John's Gospel not only gives us these seven miraculous signs, but he follows that up with seven I am statements in his Gospel. Seven I am's. We've looked at two of them already. One already, this one today. Back in John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Jesus boldly and authoritatively declares that he is the great provider for the nation of Israel, indeed for the world. In John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. In fact... Many commentators and scholars believe that Jesus uses these first two I am statements to show not only that he is the provider and he is the light, but that he is better or more superior to Moses who led them and who called down manna from heaven. Jesus provides a greater manna. And then he says, I am the light of the world, which is the remind Israel of that pillar of cloud that the Israelites followed by day and that pillar of fire that they followed at night. And Israel, at this point, by the time you come to the first century, they're proud of this. They've clinged to this. But to help you understand or put verse 12 in its context, let's remember that two weeks ago when I preached, I dealt with John chapter 7, verse 53, to John chapter 8, verse 11. Why would Jesus stand up and say, I am the light of the world? Well, we've already had a story of just how dark religion and the human heart can be, haven't we? With the woman caught in adultery. We saw how men used a woman. They weaponized her. They exploited her. They sought to take advantage of the crowd. They wanted to entrap Jesus. They wanted to control all of these things for their own gain. And so in John 7, 53 to 8, 11, we see what sin does even to this faceless, nameless woman caught in adultery. She's scared and alone. And can we not fast forward into the 21st century of today and not see that this is a current tale and a tragic story in our world? 
And what would it be like if it was not for the fact that Jesus comes and says, I am the light of the world. Jesus is God in the flesh, the bread of life. Now he's the light of the world. Now my title says, does Jesus light up your life? And I want to keep up with Brother Steve. Last week, Steve did a beautiful sermon out of Hosea on the omnipotent love of God. And he quoted all kinds of 80s love songs. And I heard the giggles of you, so that means that you either dated yourself or you listened to them a lot more than you want to admit. But I couldn't help but this last couple of weeks as I was studying John 8:12 to think about this song. Debbie Boone made famous, you light up my life. Does Jesus light up your life? In fact, maybe Debbie Boone can actually articulate well for us this struggle of light and darkness. I don't know if you've ever actually read the lyrics to her song. She writes, waiting for someone to sing me his song. So many dreams I kept deep inside me, alone in the dark. But now you've come along because you light up my life. You give me hope to carry on. You light up my life and fill my nights with song. The second verse is even more depressing. Rolling at sea, adrift on the water. Could it finally be I'm turning from home? Finally a chance to say, hey, I love you. Never alone. Never again to be all alone. Because you light up my life. And you give me hope to carry on. You light up my days. And fill my nights with song. So how about it? 2018, the end of September. Can you believe another year is almost into its last quarter? Does Jesus light up your life? Really? I mean, light. This word, John loves the word light. In fact, he uses it 16 times in 21 chapters to refer to Jesus Christ. He says, in all the way back in chapter 1, in him was the life, and the life was the light of men. He says in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and I love this, and the darkness has not overcome it. True light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world, John says. In fact, you will find this light imagery all through the Bible. Isaiah the prophet, in a passage we're going to hear coming into Christmas, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Light in Isaiah 9 too. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. Steve just read for you Psalm 27 where David cries out, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Is Jesus the light of your life? And so today I just want us to consider three simple thoughts from John 8, 12. That have implications. They make presuppositions for you and I. Number one is Jesus' divine proclamation. If you're taking notes, his divine proclamation. As it's his second statement. But notice down in verse 20 of John chapter 8. 
Look down at verse 20 and notice what you'll see. These words he, Jesus, spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. And this is a common refrain in John chapter 6 and 7 and now 8, that his hour had not come, but John wants us to have the context, the time frame. He's there in the treasury. This was in the court of women. Okay, And you need to have a little background because this is still now at the tail end of the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Booths. Now I've told you about how when Jesus said, I am the water, I'm the living water and you can come to me and drink. Now he says, I am the light of the world and that has direct correlation to this festival. Because for seven days, the nation of Israel would go and collect water from the pool of Siloam. And they would come and they would pour it out. And remember in the Mishnah, they would say, you have not, your eyes have not seen joy until you've seen the priest pour the water down over the altar. And then they light it up and people would dance. Well, another part of the Feast of Booths in this treasury, which by the way, to connect the dots of your Bible, is where the widow's mite story takes place. It's here. This is where they had these big brass trumpet-like bowls. And some of them were used to put offerings in. But they had these four massive trumpet-like bowls of brass that went straight up. One on the four corners. They say equal to the height of the temple itself. And at the top of these four trumpets were four bowls in each one. So 16. And a healthy priest... 85 liters of oil is what it would take to fill the four bowls of each trumpet. The priests used to use their old garments as wicks for these lamps. That's how big these things were. And then they would light them. And again, scholars tell us that when these four trumpet bowls were lit at the end of this and throughout the second half of this this, uh, feast, it would light up all of Jerusalem. All of it. It was like a first century sprung greenhouse, for those of you that can remember. All right, if you remember that, I'm old enough to remember that failed attempt. For those that are visiting or you're from away, we tried to grow cucumbers here in Newfoundland. And we had these massive greenhouses that would light up at night. And when they were lit at any time of the day in Mount Pearl, it was as if it was daytime. And this is what it was like. And so these have been burning now, lighting up the city, and they would dance all through the night and celebrate about this, as this was a reminder of the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire that Jesus provided, or God provided, as they walked through the wilderness. But now it's that eighth day. The fire has now gone down and extinguished. The crowd is getting ready to go home. Many have argued with Jesus, as we've seen, And Jesus looks at them all and says, you've been impressed by this? I want you to know, I am the light of the world. Make no doubt about it, my friends, as we're going to see when we finish off chapter 8, where you're going to see words spoken by Jesus that I think men fear to say out loud. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. But if Jesus says that he is the light of the world, then it implies something, doesn't it? It means, if we agree with this, it must mean that we need light. For him to say, I am the light of the world, must mean we need light. And it must also mean that darkness is an issue. These are the implications. These are the presuppositions. Light and darkness is seen all through the Bible. Have you ever gone back to Genesis chapter 1 and just even read how your Bible begins? 
Moses says, the earth in Genesis 1, the earth was without form and void. And notice, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And so God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And then there was an evening and there was a morning the first day. You see, the world was not created dark. It was made dark by sin. Because of sin, mankind came under the judgment of God. And since God is holy, sinful men and women were cast out from the light of His presence. That's why Adam and Eve were driven out of the Garden of Eden. And this is the true story told in the early chapters of Genesis. Cast from the Garden of Eden because of sin. Adam and Eve immediately fell into spiritual ignorance. And when Adam and Eve turned away from God, darkness crashed over creation. In fact, here's a funny little trivia for you. The first song recorded in the Bible is Genesis 4.23, the song of Lamech. You know what the first song of humanity was? I have killed a man for wounding me. He sang it. Darkness has crashed in. The prophet Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 60 verse 2, For look, darkness covers the earth. And total darkness the peoples. But the Lord will shine over you and His glory will appear over you. And so when Jesus says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world, He's really revealing for us two very important things. Number one, Jesus is the remedy and the only remedy for the darkness of the world. By the way, darkness we are responsible for. And secondly, Jesus is declaring to religion, I have come to take back what is mine. No longer will you look forward. No longer will you celebrate signs and wonders. I have come. And yet the declaration also implies a couple of things. Because if Jesus is the light, then it means there must in fact be darkness. So you've got to own it. And so light and darkness, but let me start with the darkness. I don't think I need to try and convince you here this morning that darkness exists in the world. How often have you heard these terms? These are dark times. How often have you heard about that time in history we call the dark ages? Have you ever heard someone describing someone else, especially maybe when a serial killer gets caught or something like that, he or she has a dark mind or a dark heart? How often have you heard a child say, or even honest adults say, I'm afraid of the dark? And if you study the Bible, you're going to find four things about the darkness described from Genesis to Revelation. I want to give them to you because you need to have this theology out of this verse. I want you to realize this. The Bible tells us that darkness consists of a lack of knowledge, ignorance, folly, and superstition. This is the makeup of darkness. Psalm 82.5 says, They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. You will find that when darkness prevails, you will find ignorance. 
When darkness prevails, you see folly. When darkness prevails, you see superstition. If you go to cultures where the word of God has not been proclaimed and preached and people have been left to themselves, you don't find thriving communities. You find superstitious people groups. Even Paul said in Acts, as he walked along the Pantheon and he saw all of the idols and just to make sure they had checked off all the checks and balances, they even created an idol and said, this is an idol to the unknown God, just in case we've missed one. But darkness also has a moral dimension about it. Darkness has evil and fear. Solomon said in Proverbs 2.13, Those who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. He said in Proverbs 4.19, The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. But you know, only a few chapters back in John chapter 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, This then is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who practices wicked things hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. And if you have traveled in the world where darkness prevails, you know this to be true. You don't go into bars where they want you to enjoy sins of the flesh. The place is not lit up there so you can see everything. It is purposefully dark and dingy. You will find this. Why do you go to certain places and it wants it to be like this? Because there's an evil and a fear. Darkness wants itself to be hidden. And the fear is, I don't want to be exposed. Why are we afraid to walk down dark alleys? Why do we not want to be left alone in a dark place? But you see, darkness is not only this folly and ignorance. It's not only a moral thing. It also has an experiential part of it because it leads to bondage, misery, and death. That is the Bible's explanation of the darkness of humanity. Isaiah 8.25 tells us that there is distress and darkness in the world. The gloom of anguish. In Isaiah 59.9 he writes, Therefore justice is far from us. And righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light. And behold, darkness. And for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight among those in full vigor. We are like dead men. This is the Bible's definition of the darkness of the human heart. Isaiah, or sorry, David cries out in, in Psalm 143, He has made me to sit in darkness like those long dead. I remember I was six years old the first time I ever went to awake. My parents deemed me old enough and they took me to the wake of my grandfather. And as you know, I went to the wake and I was very fascinated because I could not understand that there he was, but he didn't respond. But probably the most traumatic experience for me at that young age of six years old was when we went just before the funeral and the family comes in and they close the casket. And I distinctly remember screaming to my mother and cuddling into her, Pop, is in the dark. He's alone in the dark. 
I could not understand because I was afraid. I felt my grandfather was now trapped in that coffin. But darkness has a fourth element in the Bible. Darkness is judicial. It demands judgment and wrath. Again, Isaiah talks of God's wrath, but Zephaniah warns us of the day of gloom and judgment. But Jesus himself said in Matthew twenty-two thirteen, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness in the place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Revelation ultimately tells us that those who walk in darkness and reject the light of Jesus will come to judgment. The writer of Hebrews sums it up like this. And just as is it appointed for people to die once and after this, the judgment. Listen, friends, I want you to get this. Darkness is folly. Darkness is evil. Darkness is experiential. You are in bondage and fear and misery and darkness will be judged. And this is darkness. This is what Jesus, though, says he comes to defeat. He's come to take uh, take it over and take authority over it and destroy. But let me ask you before I move on. Has not every single one of you in this room not felt or been victim to the darkness of life? Even your own life. How many times have you ever cried out, I'm lost. I'm scared. I don't know what to do. Because darkness deceives us. Darkness causes us to be lost. Darkness will distort reality. Darkness, as we've read, makes us stumble. It makes us vulnerable. It puts us on the defensive. I mean, have you ever been alone in the dark? We've all experienced regular darkness, just the changing of the sun going down and darkness coming in. But we've also experienced that sudden darkness. Have you ever been there at night and the lights are all on and because it's a windstorm or something, then all of a sudden, darkness. There's the fear of extreme darkness. For some people, they're so afraid of it. It's worse than claustrophobia. If you've ever felt extreme darkness in the absence of light, it can feel oppressive. And then many of you have experienced, and this is one that I struggle with, the weird dimness of dusk or shaded darkness. When it's not really dark, but it's not really light, but everything just seems weird. What a dark and cosmic tragedy If this is where I stopped preaching, if this is where you and I are left, this is the darkness, sin and death and destruction and deceit, and this is the real world. This is what Jesus means when he bursts forth at the end of this ceremony and he says, I am the light of the world. I'm the true light. (laughs) And And it's real light. Do we not need and love light when it counts? Let me tell you about my experience. When I was about 15 or 16 years old, one of the habits of my youth group was to go on a yearly retreat. And it was just actually for the guys. A couple of the older youth leader men would take us guys out and we'd go camping. 
take our canoes and we do all our things. But we always inevitably had this real cool game called Capture the Flag. And every year we tried to be more stealthy. And so we were going to do this out in this camp. And we were way out past Butterpark Park. And it was dark, nothing but a moon. It was cloudy, so the moon wasn't... I mean, it was dark. And we wore dark clothing. We painted our faces dark because we wanted to be able to sneak and get, get that flag and sneak out and nobody would know. And me and my friend were going to do this. And so we crawled through everything. And of course, I, it was a good thing because I'm phobic of spiders. I can't stand bugs of any type. Um, spider webs make me squeal. All right. So it was good that I had the extreme darkness because I could feel stuff, but I just kept telling myself it wasn't that. But we got close enough to capture the flag. Well, the first thing we learned was in outer darkness, you can't really see the flag. But we thought we found it, but we heard a noise. And we thought we were going to get caught. And so me and my friend instantly took off and we were running in complete darkness. As it was, I tripped and fell over and over again. And I kept saying, run, run, don't stop, don't wait for me, run. And I was getting up and I was going and I could hear my friend. I go, fa, 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 fa. And then I heard. Because my friend ran full speed into the face of a rock. So I heard that weird slappy sound. And then I heard, but I couldn't find him. I didn't know where he was. Now I was afraid. He managed to moan a little louder and I got to him and I I went down. And at first, you know, as a classic teenager, I thought it was hilarious because I I hadn't done it and he didn't. So my first reaction was to laugh and go, you know, too bad that happened to you. And then he he went, and like there was no returned laughter. And I realized, "Uh uh-oh, he's hurt. And I patted around and I found him and I patted him down and my my hands went up his body. And then all of a sudden I felt something wet in my hand. And I realized, "Uh uh-oh, this is really serious. And then I went, from joking and laughter, and this was just going to be a cool story, to sheer panic and terror. And I started to yell, help, help. And I listened for voices, and all I did, I begged for someone to come with a light. I longed for a light when my friend was hurt. I wanted a flashlight. That was like life for me that day. And listen, let's be honest, if you're in the dentist chair, do you want it to be dark and dingy or are you glad that he's got a big light? If you're going in for open heart surgery, do you want it to be the mood lighting of the keg or do you want some bright lights so that that doctor can see? We love light. We need light. We live by light each and every day. Life, light gives us a path. It points the way. It warns us of danger. It helps us find things. It gives us security. It helps us move from defense to offense. And so Jesus says here, with all the religious trimmings all around him, he says to this group of people, I am the light of the world. And notice it's the light, not a light. And this is why John said what he did in John chapter 1, verse 9, where he says, Jesus is the true light. John MacArthur says, Jesus Christ alone brings the light of salvation to a sin-cursed world. To the darkness of falsehood, he is the light of truth. To the darkness of ignorance, he is the light of wisdom. 
To the darkness of sin, he is the light of holiness. To the darkness of sorrow, he is the light of joy. And to the darkness of death, he is the light of life. Oh, do you see the contrast between darkness and light? Jesus is proclaiming everything you are here celebrating and looking for, I am. I am God. I am the Messiah. I'm the one who brings light to your life and changes you. But now comes the great question and ultimate implication. Because look at the very next phrase. Because Jesus now gives us a divine conditional provision. Look at what he says. You notice he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Whoever follows me. Now I've spent a lot of time building the case of the Bible for darkness. But oh what it's like when you've seen the light, right? I wandered so aimless. My life filled with sin. I wouldn't let my dear Savior in. Then came Jesus like a stranger in the night and praised the Lord. I saw the light. Oh, it's good to have you back, Mary. Just like a blind man, I wandered along. Worries and fears I claimed from my own. Then like the blind man that God gave back his sight. Oh, praise the Lord, I saw the light. I was a fool too and wandered and strayed. Straight is the gate and narrow the way. Now I have traded the wrong for the right. Oh, praise the Lord. I saw the light. Oh, what it's like to see it. Jesus says you've got to follow Him. And that word follow, for those of you that love your Greek, is a very important word. The word follow there means like a soldier follows his commander. The word follow there is used of a student, a disciple who listens to his rabbi. Friends, the audience that Jesus is speaking to would have known what Jesus was talking about because they are surrounded by the trappings of a celebration that would have reminded them of the great Shekinah glory of God and that pillar of cloud by day and that pillar of fire by night back in Exodus 13. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. And the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Jesus says, if you want to take advantage of me as the light, you've got to follow me. David said in Psalm 119.110, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It also means that you can't shine the light on yourself. If you're going to follow Him, you've got to keep your eyes on the light. You've got to go where the light takes you. You've got to trust what the light shows you. And so, by implication, for you here this morning, what are you struggling with in life that's causing a bit of darkness in your life? Marriage? Parenting? Money, relationships, the church. You know, it's funny how many folks will tell me, I don't know what to do. And yet they don't go to the light of God's word regularly. We understand understand it's not just the darkness we've got to be aware of, but it's also the false lights that offer to help us, but only lead us into deeper darkness. Oh, church, you've got to realize there are a lot of false lights out there. 
reason and philosophy and liberalism and conscience and even the voices of liberal churches are all in their various ways crying loudly and saying, we've got the light to show you. But is there anything more disappointing than when the power goes out and you've groped around and you finally found that flashlight and you go to turn it on and it doesn't work? Either the batteries are dead or the light bulb is burned out and all of a sudden you realize it was just an empty promise, a false hope. You see, if you think that this is a radical commitment to follow Jesus, when he says, follow me and you won't walk in darkness, it is. And dare I challenge us all that too many professing believers have come to Jesus without this commitment. They never actually follow him, but there is no other kind of saving Christianity. Have you met someone or are you someone who has found the light? Like the words of, I saw the light, no more darkness, no more night. John 8, 12, the muse for the writer of that wonderful hymn, the light of the world is Jesus. And so we're called to trust as the light of our lives, Jesus. We're called to follow him. And when we do, church, you will find protection and wisdom and instruction and hope and safety. See, to have Jesus as Savior is to follow him as Lord. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own, you were bought with a price. James Montgomery Boyce states, the path that Jesus walked is the path to the crucifixion. It leads to glory, but before it leads to the cross, such a path can be walked only by the one who has died to self and who has deliberately taken up the cross of Christ to follow him. You know what it looks like to follow Christ? You remember when Moses was up on the Mount Sinai and the glory of God went by and only his face got exposed to the backside of God as he walked by and then all of a sudden his face glowed and he couldn't help it. His face just glowed and we must own that if Jesus is the light, we're going to follow him and it means that we're not the light. We're the reflectors of the light. We are to be led by him and warmed by him and refined by him and thus transformed by him. Richard Phillips writes, what then is the light that you and I need? Is it the false light of consumerism? How's that working out for you? More expensive toys, bigger homes, keeping up with the Joneses. I say that because I don't think there's any Joneses here. Psychology, mystic spirituality, or is it simply Jesus Christ? And what is the light that the world needs to see shining from the church? Is it the neon light of Hollywood? Is it the dim light of self-help teaching? Come to Jesus. You'll get your dog back and your truck back and your wife back. No, the only true light, the only true Savior is Jesus Christ. I am the light of the world. Let us follow Him. Let us proclaim His light of forgiveness from sin and new life for salvation to a dark and dying world. As Jesus is the light of the world, let us be lamps that shine His light to others. And this is why. Because then we have Jesus' divine proclaimed eternal promise. Because He says then, you will have the light of life. You remember? No need of the sunlight in heaven, we're told. The light of the world is Jesus. The Lamb is the light in the city of gold. The light of the world is Jesus. 
You see, once you've trusted in Jesus, once the light of God in Jesus has saved you and set you free, you are free indeed, and it's eternal. It can't be taken away. The batteries never die. The bulb never burns out. In Jesus, all the promises of God are yes and amen. There is an internal impact in the light of Jesus. Sins are forgiven. Guilt and shame are gone. We're right with God. We're declared righteous. We're empowered and sealed by the Holy Spirit. Our minds are enlightened. Our hearts are made new. We now read God's Word and we can actually understand it. We pray and we know we are heard. We hope in Christ and not ourselves. There's an external impact to the light of Jesus. We live differently. We talk and walk differently. We treat others differently. There's the communal aspect to the light of Jesus because we want to be with other Christians. We share and we actually seek peace. We work to find unity around the gospel and Christ and we quickly forgive and sacrifice readily. And then there's an evangelistic impact to the light of Jesus because now we can truly be salt and light We are sons and daughters of the light. We reflect the light of Jesus as witnesses and ambassadors. This is our life now and forevermore. Which leads to Jesus saying in Matthew 5.14, You are the light of the world. Friends and Christians, have you seen the light? Are you walking in the light? Or may I ask us soberly, Are we walking in darkness? As a pastor, I'm often dismayed as I see so many Christians still walking in the ways of this dark world. Too many Christians, we are accepting the world's values, we're serving the world's priorities, and we're dreaming the world's dreams, and we're obeying the world's requirements. And I want you to listen to me now, especially if you're a young person in this room. Are you willing to stand out by your discipleship to Jesus? Or are you rather itching to take part in the sinful social practices that are so pervasive among our younger generation today? Oh, young people, are you drawn to the music and movies and video games that celebrate sensuality and violence? Are you dabbling in sexual sin or alcohol or drugs as if you are going to play with the tiger and be the one that tames it when no one ever has? Listen, Jesus said, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. And for those of you that are adults and parents and grandparents, This is what we must aim for in the raising of our children in the church. That they can walk through a dark world without walking in sin. And this comes only through a personal discipleship with Jesus. So adults, do our lifestyle choices, our ambitions, our priorities with time and money and habits reflect the standards of the dark world or the light of Christ's kingdom? Are you caught up in materialism and egotism and sensualism? Things that belong to the darkness of this world. And if you are, it can only be because you're not following Jesus. I always know when I've touched a nerve because it gets definitely silent in here. 
The same can be said for ministers and churches that mimic the ways of this dark world. And so can I say this morning, let us repent on ways large and small. Let us take up our cross and follow Jesus and leave the darkness behind. J.C. Ryle puts it so beautifully. The Lord Jesus Christ declares himself to be the only remedy. He has risen like the sun to diffuse light and life and peace and salvation in the midst of a dark world. And he invites all who want spiritual help and guidance to turn to him and take him for their leader. What the sun is to the whole solar system, the center of light and heat and life and fertility that he has come into the world to be to sinners. And so obviously my question for us this morning as I close is this. Do you believe that Jesus is the light of the world this morning? Do you believe that? Do you truly believe it? Will you hear the invitation? Will you place your faith in the promise of Jesus to you? Come to the light that is Jesus. He came to this earth to display the glory and love and holiness and majesty of God. He came to be the second Adam for you and for me. He invites you now to give up your religion. Stop stumbling around in the darkness and put your faith and trust in Him. I read this week, it is only when you and I admit to being what we are not supposed to be that we can be declared what we do not deserve to be. Sons and daughters of God. Jesus says, come to the light. Oh, friends, be changed by the light. And then rest in the light. Will you confess your darkness here this morning? We don't usually do this. We don't usually have altar calls. And we don't tell people to bow their heads and close their eyes and put up their hands. But I want to ask you, will you confess your darkness, your doubts, your silly attempts to make things right or to do your best? Will you admit that you're tired? Will you give up your pride today that says, I've got this when everybody around you knows you don't? Isn't it exhausting to pretend like you've got it all together when you carry the weight of sin and fear and shame and guilt inside? It's even more exhausting to pretend that you're not that bad. Only to be dying inside for the fear of failure or the sheer fatigue of trying to hang on to your stuff or your marriage or your family or your job or your accomplishments or your reputation or your power or your fame or your plans or your kids or your hopes or your dreams. Jesus tells us as we stumble in the darkness, don't forget I am the light of the world. Don't forget what your enemy is, church. Listen, your flesh is your internal enemy. All right, Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? All right, your flesh is your internal enemy. Few of us go back to verse 5, though, to get the context of verse 9. When Isaiah says, this is what the Lord says, the man who trusts in mankind, who makes human flesh his strength and turns his heart from the Lord is cursed. Don't trust in yourself. The world is our external enemy. The world tempts us and attempts to draw us away from the light. John himself would say everything in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. But listen, the Satan is our infernal enemy. He is the father of lies. He is a deceiver. He walks around the earth as a, as a roaring lion. And Isaiah termed him Lucifer the morning star. He's a false light. His ultimate 
goal is to be the ultimate fraud. And so right here and right now, be honest. Is there not that nagging voice deep in the soul of every human being made in the image of God who hears about the love of Jesus, the light of the world, and then says, I need to respond. And friends, professing Christians, Israel needed a pillar of fire and a cloud to follow. They saw only the results of the light of God on Moses' face. Then Jesus came. And he lived and died and rose again. The light of life to all who believe. Come today and find security. And if you're a Christ follower, are you walking in the light of Jesus today? What is there in your life that you'd say, I don't know what to do. I've got to go to the light of Jesus with this. Don't be blind or stubborn. Do you want to know if you're going to God's word and prayer? You see, I know there are two types of people in any church of professing Christians. There are those that want, know they should read the Bible, but they don't. And then they wonder why they can't handle life's problems. And there are others of you that try your best to read the Bible, but you do so from a perfunctionary way. And you don't do it out of a relationship. Psalm 1 says... Blessed is he who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his or her delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. You want to know how you're walking in the light? Christian, you'll start thinking of yourself less and others more. You'll start being more thankful and less critical. You'll start to trust Christ and other Christians more easily. You'll start to hang on to things that matter for eternity while letting go of things that don't last. You'll start to confess more to God and complain less to others. You'll start to ask for help instead of always giving advice. You'll start to prioritize your life instead of letting your life prioritize you. And so, disciple, Christian, does Jesus Light up your life. Do you know what the end is? In Revelation 21, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. And notice what John says, I did not see a sanctuary in it because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its sanctuary. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because God's glory illuminates it and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk in its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. The light of the world is Jesus. Does Jesus light up your life? If not, why not? If so, don't hide it under a bushel, no. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the power of a simple verse of the Bible. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Lord, if there's a young person here that's struggling or doubting or doesn't know for sure that they are a follower of Christ, let them talk to mom and dad or to one of the elders. 
There's a young person, young adult couple here that need prayer. May they seek that out today. But Lord, may we truly live in the, in the casting glow of your light. And may we say together and sing boldly, to God be the glory, great things he has done. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.